Welcome, everybody, to Dead Talk Live. And uh, I don't know what happened there, but my intro did not play. That's unacceptable. Why did my intro not play? Let's try it again. Much better. <laughs> welcome, everybody, to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host, Viz. I want to welcome all of our viewers from around the world. Thank you for joining me tonight, being a part of our live audience. If you are joining us for the first time and want more information about our show, please visit us at deadtalklive.com. You can see all of our guests, upcoming guests, and of course, this show streams Monday through Friday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern to YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Twitch. Want to say a big thank you to all the moderators, Marie on Instagram, Saz, Khaleesi on the YouTube, and uh, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch side. Thank you guys for doing this every night. Want to say hello to some of our viewers. Let's see, we got Lisa with us on Facebook. Cece is with us on YouTube. Zoe is joining us on Twitter. Nice to have you with us, Zoe. Just scrolling up the chats on the Instagram side. We have Saeed, Saniya, who's saying hello. Uh, Lag is also with us. Elmer is giving us a big old thumbs up. I love the floating love hearts, guys. Keep them coming on Instagram. Pablo is also with us on Instagram as well. Priscilla is also joining us, as is Kamira. Thank you guys for joining tonight. Hope you could spend the next hour with us as we discuss all things horror. And uh, a reminder that on Tuesday, we have the lead actress from the original Day of the Dead. Laurie Cardiel is going to be our special guest, Sarah from the original Day of the Dead, and I am really jazzed about that. Just think of it. Uh, two weeks ago, we had Scott Renninger, who was in the original Dawn of the Dead as Roger, and on Tuesday, we're getting Laurie Cardiel, who was, in, who was the star of Day of the Dead. So, really psyched to talk to them. And we also have uh, a lot of other guests that I'm going to be announcing soon, just waiting on final confirmation on the dates. And what I love about, I'm going to be completely honest, what I love about the range of guests that we have on this show, it ranges all generations. You know, going back to the classics, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, to up-and-coming new uh, actors and actresses. Uh, one of the guests that we're getting ready to announce is getting ready to premiere in a new horror Amazon series. And she's a young and upcoming actress. She's only 15. And she's going to be, a, she's a bright beacon. And hopefully I'll be able to announce that, uh, you know, on our website, maybe later on tonight, tomorrow at the latest. But that is confirmed. We're just getting, trying to nail down the date. So that's, I love that. I love that we have the the wide scope of uh, guests ranging ranging from some of the classic horror movies movies that we love from the old days to new and up and coming stars 
You know, I just absolutely love that. Uh, Khaleesi also writes, that's what I love. Uh, Cece writes, ha, I'm watching Day of the Dead right now and was wondering, the black guy, is that his real accent? Or is he acting, uh, you know? I don't know. He has like that Jamaican type accent in the movie. I don't know if that was just part of the script where he had to talk that way. I'm more inclined to believe, I've never heard the actor speak, that that might be his uh, true voice. That's just an opinion. I have not heard, uh, and the actor's name is escaping me right now, but I have never heard him speak, you know? So I honestly don't know, but if I were to guess, I would probably say that's his real voice. If not, he does a hell of a job uh, doing that Jamaican accent, you know? So anyway, let's get uh, uh, Jess B just joined us right now. Welcome, Jess. Let's get on with some news. Let's see what's going on in the world of entertainment. So The Walking Dead is behind us for now. And it's now time to concentrate on Fear the Walking Dead. As I've mentioned, Fear the Walking Dead, for those of you that have AMC+, it's been available since Sunday. I have yet to watch it. I know, it's a big shame. But I'm going to be watching it either tonight, tomorrow, uh, and we are going to be discussing it in full detail come Monday. So make sure you guys watch Fear the Walking Dead no later than Sunday when it officially airs on AMC. I know for our friends across the pond in uh, in Europe, uh, it, the, the Walking Dead series, Fear of the Walking Dead, doesn't air for you guys till Monday, but because of the time difference, you have no excuse for not being able to watch it before we go on here live. So, yeah, Saz, who's uh, in the UK, says, boo, about the timing a day later. Uh, welcome to Roa on Instagram. So let's see what they have to say. First article is about Morgan. Fear the Walking Dead Season 6 returns with a big Morgan moment. No surprise there. Morgan reconnects with some of his past in Fear the Walking Dead Season 6 Episode 8. There's an exclusive clip. Fear the Walking Dead 6 has been one of the darkest seasons of the show so far. Our heroes have been separated, some left for dead, while others were forced to join Virginia in her cruel group of pioneers who want all the survivors they meet to fall in line or die. That sums it up pretty accurately there. When Morgan stood up to Virginia in season five, uh, it ended very badly for him. Not only was his group broken, but so was his spirit. But season six has been all about putting those pieces back together for Morgan after a deadly encounter with a bounty hunter in the first half of the season, to be more exact, in the first episode of season six. Morgan has been busy plotting the downfall of the pioneers one strike at a time. And I've said this before and I will say it again. This is a Morgan that we have not seen before. Of course, we have seen Killer Morgan uh, all too often on The Walking Dead. Uh, but this is a Morgan who is more experienced. 
I think he has better control of his emotions. We know that the killer Morgan is inside him. We know that. That's that's not even up for debate. Yeah, but whenever killer Morgan came out, he lost all control. He couldn't control himself. Now we're seeing a Morgan who is back to being the killer Morgan, but seems to be in full control, which makes him dangerous and explains perfectly why Virginia is and should be afraid that he is still alive and out there and he is gunning for her. By the mid-season finale, it seemed that Morgan had his winning card, Dakota, Virginia's rebellious sister, who doesn't agree with her older sibling's methods. At first, Morgan planned to trade Dakota for the rest of his group, but was convinced to instead take her with him to the secret place he's been building for his people. Uh, that's where he met Isaac, remember in the first episode, while his wife was giving birth, to which they named uh, after Morgan. And uh, he, she is the only one in that place. Looks to be like behind a dam. And uh, he's building it up. Uh, they are both building it up for what he hopes will be the day when he's able to bring his friends, plus more, back to his community. But Morgan doesn't know that Virginia has something up her sleeve, too. As we learned in the final minutes of damage from, it, from the inside, Virginia has her own trump card, which will significantly complicate things for Morgan and his friends in the mid-season premiere, which is called uh, The Door will deliver its biggest Morgan moment of the season when he reconnects with his love interest, Grace. Oh, I bet you it's going to be orchestrated in a way where Virginia and Morgan face off and she, uh, she shows him that she has Grace and full control of Grace and her life is literally in Virginia's hands. Uh, Grace, whom we learned at the end of season five, might be carrying his baby. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's a big time out there. That is a mistake. That is not accurate at all. Den of Geek should have done a little bit more research before writing this. We know for a fact, because Grace told us so, she got pregnant by somebody she uh, knew before she actually met Morgan. Somebody who was working at that nuclear power plant. Uh, unless I'm completely wrong in remembering something from an alternate universe or I dreamt this up, that's exactly how it happened. Morgan is not the father of Grace's baby. So, just want to make sure I clarify that. Khaleesi says, right? Okay, good. So... A little foo on uh, Den of Geeks there for not doing their full research. Uh, the exclusive clip below to see Morgan's reaction to hearing Grace's voice. Ah, so they don't actually meet. As we could see in the little picture, thumbnail right there, Virginia has a gun to the back of Grace's head. And uh, let's go ahead and watch it. Morgan, you there? We got something we need to discuss. Don't, don't. Rangers are nearby, they might figure out where we are. John's right. Don't, she's just trying to scare you. Morgan, 
It's me. Oh, hell. Sorry, I have to. Morgan. Yes, I'm here. I thought that might do the trick. Grace, are you okay? Baby okay? I'm okay, Morgan. So is the baby. I think this little one's about seven months now. I thought you were dead, Morgan. We all did. Hey. You hear that, Morgan? Grace is fine, but that'll change real quick if anything happens to my sister. Call the Rangers off. Mmm. Mm-mm. Damn. That looks interesting. She is scared of him. Make no doubt about it. She is scared of him. Uh, as opposed, you know, if we compare Virginia to, let's say, Negan, uh, Negan never really showed any fear. Virginia is not good at controlling her emotions uh, like Negan was. Uh, she's kind of an open book, actually. Uh, you know, yeah, she has her little cards up her sleeve, her little tricks here and there, but she is a person who acts on emotions. That makes her more like the governor, but I don't think anywhere near as evil as what the governor was. The governor is in a class all to himself. Anyway, while we don't know what exactly is in store for Morgan and Grace for the rest of the season, the synopsis for the remaining episodes paint a bleak picture. And a reminder, guys, episodes 8 and 9 coming up were both directed by the great Michael Satrazimus. So I know these are going to be amazing episodes, and I cannot wait to watch them. As Morgan's bid to free the remaining members of the group become bolder, Virginia grows increasingly desperate to find her sister and protect the settlements from forces working inside and outside her walls. Don't forget about the spray paint people. The second half of season six reveals the impact of what living under Virginia's control has done to each person in this group who once saw themselves as a family. New alliances will be formed, relationships will be destroyed, and loyalties forever changed. When, when everyone is forced to take sides, they discover the meaning of the end is the beginning, which is what those spray painters love to paint. Now, as far as the core group of people that were with Morgan before Virginia came along and split them up, uh, you know, John was all gung-ho, let's give Virginia a chance in that one episode that completely changed his mind about Virginia and he realized her for what uh, she was. But do you guys really see anybody else in that group uh, except for Strand aligning themselves with Virginia? Uh, I think Strand is playing his uh, plan, whatever you want to call it, very close to the vest. I'm, I would not be surprised if he is full gung-ho Virginia. And at the same time, I would not be surprised if he is just being very secretive to do what he is, you know, what his goal is, and that is to fully gain Virginia's trust and at the end, betray her in order to help his friends. If it goes either way, 
With Strand, it is completely unpredictable. I want to say hello to Nina, who's just joined us on Facebook. Welcome, Nina. Thank you for joining the broadcast. Lisa says, got to uh, take some of these reviewers with a grain of salt. Absolutely. Uh, Lisa also says, Virginia doesn't have any of those neganisms either. That's absolutely true as well. Um, so anyway, despite his new lease on life and more laissez-faire attitude regarding beheadings, the odds are still pretty stacked against Morgan. Virginia controls a whole army of rangers, a fleet of vehicles, even though they lost their gas supply, and even the oil fields that power those vehicles. Those oil fields are now destroyed. Uh, while all he has are a few friends and the vision for a new settlement hidden behind a dam. Virginia's people are savior-level threat. I do not agree with that. Uh, and this time, Morgan doesn't have a whole army behind him like Rick did in The Walking Dead Season 8. And even then, Rick's army compared to the Savior's, uh, Rick was vastly outnumbered. The second half of Fear the Walking Dead 6 will also introduce three new characters, played by John Glover from The Good Wife, Nick Stahl from Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, and Keith Carradine from Fargo. So there you guys have it. Not a very accurate article, to say the least. We also have another Fear article here. This is from Cinema Blend. Fear the Walking Dead nearly kills a major character off in a new mid-season premiere video. Fear the Walking Dead fans have been waiting since before Thanksgiving to learn what happens next with the zombie drama's core survivors. And as we just saw in that prior clip, John uh, did, maybe he did go to his shed and Morgan found him there. But uh, Morgan and John are together. But we should have all been more careful about what we wished for the back half of season six is set to show up on AMC on April 11th, and it immediately kicks off with a very dark moment featuring Garrett Dillahunt's John Dory nearly taking himself out of the equation via Scrabble-adjacent suicide. Let's watch this little clip. Come on, they're not going to make it seem like he accidentally kills himself while cleaning his gun. He is way too skilled for that. Who was that in the mirror? Shot. He really is. 
What does that say? June is his second word. Suicide June. Oh, he's leaving a note. He's thinking of taking himself out. And he's leaving a note for June with the Scrabble tiles. Nah, that's... You know, when John Dory loses hope, that things are pretty bad. I mean, this is Mr. Optimism. I guess this is the opening minutes. They just keep coming and coming. he changed his mind there you go uh i would assume that is the opening minutes to this upcoming episode episode eight uh cc says how do they still have bullets you know that's a good question uh tyler saying what's up viz eric from facebook here hey tyler eric from facebook welcome tyler is joining us tonight via youtube um Khaleesi is saying to uh, Cece that John probably had a big supply of bullets. Probably does. I can't recall many times in the Walking Dead franchise existence where the opening minutes made me want to push my TV over as a dash away screaming, but the idea of not seeing John Dory for months on end only to have him put a bullet in his head immediately is enough to send me running. I wouldn't be qu it wouldn't be quite as impactful if the actor and scene weren't so effective themselves, which is to be expected from Garrett Dillahunt, especially if, as one of this show's emotional anchors. But for real, he nearly convinced me that he would do it, despite my innate TV suspicions telling me it would be a little too wild for fear to kill somebody off in such a manner. Thankfully, the sharpshooting character did not actually pull the trigger, and he's able to survive at least through the opening credit sequence. But what after that for good old John Dory, what happens next with those Scrabble letters and their ominous messaging? Hopefully, John gets to reunite with June and apologize for leaving like a lunk while also still convincing June to get the hell away from Virginia and the Rangers, might, might as well dream big if we're dreaming at all. I think we can all agree that the walkers who creep out of the water and disrupt, and disrupt John's suicidal intentions is the goat of Fear the Walking Dead Season 6 so far. Obviously, it was written in there specifically for that purpose, but I never look a gift zombie in the mouth. I don't really look, sorry, I don't really look at the zombie's mouth in any capacity, if we're being honest. 
Now we just need to see how John reconnects with Morgan and what causes their dust up. Yeah, apparently there is some conflict that brews between John and Morgan. We really don't know all much about it. Uh, with the pandemic having forced production hiatuses across Hollywood and beyond last year, Fear of the Walking Dead was in the midst of filming episode 8 when they had to shut everything down for a few months, which is why the AMC drama had to bow out on, some, on a somewhat bizarre note with episode 7 and Ed, the taxidermist, and Grace's return. But does that mean viewers will be getting a double dose of purposefully jarring episodes with a pseudo-finale, a pseudo-premiere airing back-to-back like that? I definitely think so. There's only one way to find out. Well, that and checking Wikipedia after both episodes have aired. Fear the Walking Dead airs Sunday night on AMC at 9 p.m. Here's hoping we won't be holding any fictional character vigils later that night. So, like I said, we're getting the premiere of uh, Season 8, sorry, 6, which was should have been the finale of the mid-season. Uh, and 9, Episode 9, which should have been the premiere... And we're getting them back to back, just a week apart. So normally there would have been several months to wait between those two episodes, but we are getting them back to back. So we don't have to wait very much at all. So anyway, let's move on to some different stuff. The creator, Ryan Murphy of American Horror Story, teases the top four fan-requested stories for the franchise's future. Earlier this month, American Horror Story creator Ryan Murphy Murphy asked fans about what storylines they would like to see explored in the future. Presenting six potential narratives with Murphy revealing the four that have gotten the most votes. Murphy didn't explain what he might be doing with these suggestions whether they could be part of an upcoming season of the series or potentially being uh, explored as spin-off adventures. But seeing that the filmmaker is interested in knowing what his fans are most interested in while uh, likely excite audiences, knowing that they could have a potential impact on future events in the uh, frightening franchise. Uh, Taking to Twitter, Murphy confirmed that Aliens, Bloody Mary, Sirens, and The Plague were the stories that earned the most votes via hashtags on social media. This means that uh, Xmas, Christmas Horror, and Piggy Man are out of the running. And you could see the tweet right there letting him know the top four finalists. And personally, Aliens, nah, not that much interest there for me. Bloody Mary, that definitely sounds uh, interesting. Sirens, that's interesting. But Plague, Plague, especially in the times that we're living in right now, I don't know if that would be just absolutely horrific to watch on TV or if it's just a great idea. And he has actual, uh, he made up a little uh, four pictures to represent the top four votes. 
As Murphy has proven in his series, no matter how familiar a fan might be with the franchise, he still manages to offer plenty of surprises. With the upcoming spin-off American Horror Stories this and the season 10, which is going to be called Double Feature, set to break new ground for the format. Murphy revealed the concept for the new season in March, following months of hints and teases for what the latest installment would explore. Given that these teases offered clues of seemingly disconnected concepts, it all made sense when Murphy confirmed that the new season would explore two separate narratives, as opposed to following the established formula of each season exploring one concept. Season 10 of American Horror Story will see the returns of longtime stars Sarah Paulson, yes, Evan Peters, yes, Kathy Bates, yes, with this new story also featuring Macaulay Culkin, Leslie Grossman, Billy Lord, Adina Porter, Lily Rabe, Angelica Ross, and Finn Whitrock, all, uh, you know, from prior seasons. Despite knowing that the new season will explore two different stories, Star Whitrock previously admitted that fans will likely still be taken by surprise, which makes for such a rewarding experience as a performer. What's fun about this show is that is that no two things are ever the same, the actor noted to Entertainment Weekly. It's like, do you want to come in and do this single episode, or do you want to come in and be the lead of the season? That's what you, that's what I love about this. You know, I really love about American Horror Story. One season, uh, you could just be a background barely used maybe in an episode or two character and then the following season that same actor can be the lead uh, a good example of that is evan peters uh prior to cult where he was the main lead him and sarah paulson were the leads for the cult season he had a very small limited role on the season prior to cult and then Cult came on, and he was the lead. So you just never know with American Horror Story. Uh, do you want to come on and be a crazy psycho killer? Do you want to come in and be this relatively normal dad? You just never know what you're going to get. So there you guys have it. Uh, I just see an article here about Stranger Things Season 4. Uh, offer spoilers, thinks Netflix will fire him. I want to read this. Details about the upcoming season four of Stranger Things are being kept under wraps, but star David Harbour recently took to Instagram for uh, from the set of the series in Atlanta, another show that's that's being shot in Atlanta, teasing fans that he was about to share some spoilers about the new episodes. However, when his co-star on the series, Millie Bobby Brown, noticed that he was live, she joined in on the conversation, preventing him from spoiling any actual details about the new season, resulting in Harbour admitting that though he thought Netflix uh, was about to fire him. It's currently unknown when season four of Stranger Things could be debuting on Netflix, 
I think I can only be here for like three and a half minutes because I think I have to go get go to the set fairly soon. Harbor shared on Instagram. I'm here shooting season four of our television show. And look at him in this picture. He looks pretty damn roughed up. Let's see what he has to say. I love his character on Stranger Things. Not much of a talker. What's up, everybody? How's it going? <laughs> Damn, he looks roughed up. I haven't done Instagram Live in a little while. I, uh, I think I can only be here for like three and a half minutes because I think I have to go to set fairly soon. Um, what's going on? Oh my God, Meredith, how are you? I'm here shooting season four of our television show. Um, I don't think I'm supposed to be showing you these. Who wants to hear spoilers for season four? He's totally messing. Let me just, let me just read directly from the script. <laughs> That'll be good. Um, I'm good, how are you? Do we see Millie come in? Uh, it's a very tough day today. Yeah, you look pretty rough, dude. Very tough day. I'm exhausted. Oh, shit, Millie. There she is. Oh, no, Millie, don't tell Netflix. Don't tell Netflix that I'm doing Instagram Live from set. I'm just going to read your sections of the script, Melly. I'm just going to tell everybody what happens to Eleven this season. <laughs> I, I just told him, or you just told him? Oh, did you do a Instagram Live and you just told him? Dude, why don't you... Phone call and see if somebody's gonna pick up. There she is. Hello. Oh <laughs> <laughs> What's up, dude? Oh no, I'm so crazy. I'm just so crazy. I shouldn't be doing this. Where are you? Hello. Look at the beautiful decor. You know where I am. I know exactly where you are. I was just there. Were you? Are you in Hotlanta? I haven't seen you. You know what? <laughs> I'm just... Just... Traveling the globe. No, I'm really not. Right. I was... I was filming for a bit. Are you filming... Were you filming today? I am still filming today. Today's a very... Are you... Very are, long are, you day. In your, are you in your costume? Yeah, but... They saw it in the in the clip. Yes, in the trailer. We what they're running. Oh, 
They didn't they see yeah, it? Do you think... alive. Go back to work. I know. They're gonna get Netflix is gonna get. I'm getting fired. No, no, understand. You're getting a phone call right now. Hey, I miss you. It's good to see you. You look great. Congratulations you. on your movie this weekend too. You. Okay, that was awesome. I'm glad. I love that. Uh, Gypsy rides. Yep, it was planned. I'm sure it was. Uh, but. He really seemed just exhausted. I know that's makeup on him uh, for whatever scene he's filming uh, currently uh, for season four of Stranger Things. His head is all shaved. Uh, that was just funny. I, I, it, most likely it was planned, but the fact that Millie just showed up there and the way she was reacting to like and telling him to get off the live... I thought that was hysterical. Uh, I think that was hysterical. Anyway, uh, 10 awesome horror movies that succeeded despite being derivative. All right. There's nothing wrong uh, with being derivative, and these 10 horror movies succeeded either financially or critically despite the label. From the early days of German Expressionism, and pioneering hammer horror films to the modern era of larger-than-life monsters and CG scares, cinema and horror have always gone hand-in-hand. Hand. That said, today horror films are often thought to be trope-riddled and cliched, and the samey, that is a word that they wrote, samey, low-effort productions that hit theaters every January certainly don't help. Yet the fact that a film is derivative does not disqualify it from critical or financial success. And some of the most beloved horror movies of all time borrowed heavily from their provocative predecessors. All right. Number uh, 10, Friday the 13th. Which one? Though it's not the first slasher movie and the gore is remarkably tame compared to what the film would ultimately inspire, John Carpenter's Halloween kickstarted an all-new subgenre and brought the concept of the mysterious masked villain to the forefront of horror filmmaking. Uh, according to Victor Miller, the writer behind the Friday the 13th film, I'm assuming they're talking about the first one. The franchise was created specifically to capitalize on the popularity of the Halloween movies. Previously successful horror flicks like Jaws, and to this day, I'm sorry, I do not consider Jaws a horror movie. I, I'm sticking to that. Jaws is not a horror movie. Or The Exorcist, here were few, there were few and far between. And Friday the 13th was an attempt to establish commercial success in a genre that had been up until that point fairly niche. All right, number nine, Escape Room. Number eight, Saw. I thought Saw had a pretty unique concept. Number seven, They Live. I never thought that They Live would become the, cl the classic that it has become. I love the movie. I just, you know, it's a Rowdy Piper movie, and those of you who don't know, Rowdy Piper uh, was, uh, uh, at that time, WWF, now WWE, wrestler, popular one. 
Number six, The Conjuring. I, you know, yeah, fairly cliche in some of its, uh, but done very uniquely and brought something very refreshing to the screen. Number five, Paranormal Activity. I would not really call this derivative. Number four, Insidious, another great movie. Number three, Black Swan, fantastic movie. Number two, Lake Placid. And number one, 28 Days Later, one of uh, the movies where we really got to see those rage zombies. As you can see in this picture, even if they are on fire, they will continue running after your ass. <laughs> Welcome to Corware, who's with us on Instagram. Welcome to Profile, who's just joined us. Violet is also saying hello. Uh, welcome to all you guys who just joined us on Instagram. Looking at the time here, let's see what we got. I thought this was funny. A terrible horror movie is the number one film on Netflix today. What Lies Below, official trailer. It's not uncommon to see forgettable or, or wholly mediocre films find a massive audience once they, once they hit a major streaming platform. And a rather dull horror thriller, What Lies Below, are they talking about the one with Michelle Pfeiffer, is the latest to manage this feat on Netflix. The story finds a teenage girl returned from summer camp to discover that not only does her mother have a new boyfriend, but she intends to marry him despite having known him for just a matter of months. She decides there's something not quite right about him, now I'm thinking of a completely other movie. Partly because he seems too perfect. And when she witnesses his strange behavior at night, she begins doubting that what she knows is real. All in all, it's a fairly standard setup for a quasi-supernatural melodrama with, for once, it's being a hunky guy setting, getting objectified as a paragon of ethereal beauty rather than some nubile young woman but there just isn't enough narrative scope to fill out even such a lean runtime there's not much more to the story uh, that was shown in the trailer and nothing that happens is interesting enough to justify the time spent watching those fragmentary moments expanded and joined up i just thought that was a funny headline uh, basically you know apparently this person is surprised that, a, in his opinion, a terrible horror movie is the number one watched movie on Netflix. And this was two days ago. Anyways, anyways. Dijin, a young boy unleashes a nightmarish horror in the creepy trailer for Dijin. Now, I want to see this trailer. Where the hell is it? Let's watch this trailer. I think. We start thinking about the things we're missing. We forget about the things we have. <laughs> oh. Now I've got to take a shower before bed. I'll be home before you get up.
Not a whole bunch of info in that trailer, but that looks interesting. Lisa says the one with Michelle Pfeiffer is what lies beneath. Wasn't that the title of the movie that I just read? I think that's what confused me. No, it's what lies below. You see, I could easily, got, I, that's why I got those confused. This horrible movie that they were talking about is called What Lies Below. The Michelle Pfeiffer Harrison Ford movie is What Lies Beneath, which is a pretty good movie. So, pardon my confusion there. So, let's see. The Dijin IFC Films has released a creepy trailer for a thriller horror film titled The Dijin. The film follows a mute boy played by Ezra Dewey who is trapped in his apartment with a dark and sinister monster that he unleashes when he makes a wish to fulfill his heart's greatest desire. This actually looks like it could be a great and terrifying film. The trailer alone offers some chilling footage, and I'm curious to see what's in store for this poor kid who has a nightmarish demon looking to collect his soul. So be careful who you make a deal with. The story follows a mute 12-year-old, Dylan Jacobs, as he discovers a mysterious book of spells inside his new apartment. Yeah, sure, you move into a new apartment. Doesn't everybody find a book of spells? Uh, grieving the loss of his mother and feeling isolated from everyone except for his father, Dylan performs a ritual that promises to deliver his heart's desire to have a voice, but he soon discovers that every gift has a toll when a sinister Dijin arrives to collect his soul. Now trapped in his new home with nowhere to hide, Dylan must find a way to survive until the stroke of midnight or pay the ultimate price. So there you go. Uh, Khaleesi says, how do you spell the name of that movie? Dijin is D-J-I-N-N. -N. It's, uh, it's a name for a demon. So, damn, we're almost out of time. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and talk about our topic uh, for today, and that is the best scare scenes. Okay? Uh, well, you can never make a list of the best scare scenes. First of all, it's subjective. Everybody has their own opinion on what scares them, but there have been some pretty decent ones out there. And uh, some of the ones that came to our minds as we were preparing for this episode in the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Do you guys remember when we see Leatherface for the first time? When uh, the girl is standing in front of a, a wall or a door and that door slides open and we get to meet Leatherface. He grabs her, pulls her in and shuts the door behind her. Uh, in the 1970s, we were seeing this movie that has to this point not gotten all that weird. We're pretty suckered in by this normal setting and no one is playing any kind of score to really swell uh, the scene and pull that tension. Instead, we just get this weird trip and this sudden appearance by Leatherface in what the hell, in a what the hell kind of a moment. It hits that instant shock, that jump scare, tries to really hammer home, but it just builds it naturally 
And what really sells it is how casual Leatherface is about it. Well, we know from, you know, secret, uh, sequels that came afterwards, his, uh, that was not his first uh, dive into abducting and killing people, tearing off their skin, particularly women, and wearing it as a mask. Well, we're not seeing this, while we're not, sorry, we're not seeing this over-exaggerated, wacky character. We're seeing this big guy just appear and hitting the guy just stands out as one of those scenes that sticks out in your mind. Uh, and I'm assuming the majority of you have seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the, the original classic. Now, Paranormal Activity, the ending. Uh, the original Paranormal Activity with uh, Katie Featherstone. It's a weird saying, this one goes back, but the first Paranormal Activity was a huge movie. We've talked about this before. It had a budget of $10,000. It brought in somewhere in the neighborhood of $187 million. That's one hell of a profit right there. One of the biggest things it did was in TV spots, it shows footages of fans sitting in the theater uh, getting terrified. And I remember that. I remember watching the commercials for Paranormal Activity, and it was those kind of commercials. It was really a unique thing where they filmed audiences as they were watching the film, getting terrified and seeing all the jump scares. Uh, and I think it worked great. I think it was definitely a contributing factor, besides the movie being good, that sold the movie and what helped it make all that damn money. What makes it work is the old school movie techniques that it uses. The movie was very cheap to make. Uh, it was just made on $10,000 and it uses the same tricks they used for the original Invisible Man. And it got everyone the way uh, the Blair Witch did using the found footage framing. During screen testing, audiences were leaving because they said they were getting too scared. It's one of those movies that hit the pulse and really got under everyone's skin. And that ending is just a prime example of how freaky it got. And we saw it building throughout the whole movie. You know, I don't know if you guys know this, but the three things to obsession, what is it? Infestation. Uh, the last one is a possession. Uh... The, I forgot what the second one is called. Basically, the demon comes into your home. The second part is it wears you down. And the third and final step is possession. After it's completely broken you down and just getting you to have no will to fight anymore. Uh, next, let's see. Uh, looking at the time we have, the chest uh, alien busting out of the chest scene classic scare scene right there that one will never get old carrie uh carrie's grave this was one of those endings that you really don't see coming it works that way because it does such a great job of suckering you in thinking this was going to be the that classic if only seen and when sue puts the flowers down and the hand pops up and the music hits perfectly just nailing the impact of the hand and the scare 
it's a great way to end the movie. Now, the spider walk in The Exorcist, which I have to tell you guys, did not make the original cut of the movie when it first came out. That spider walk, uh, at least the first time that I saw it, was in bonus footage of The Exorcist. And if you have not seen it, uh, if you watch the movie, it's not in the movie, it's a bonus footage. And one of the, probably one of the first movies that probably did the inverted uh, human being doing walking on all fours that has since become so popular, especially in demonic possession movies. Uh, so the whole movie should count for this, especially when the movie caused nausea, fainting, and at a New York screening, a woman is said to have had a miscarriage. There's a lot of stories going around about how people reacted when The Exorcist first hit the theaters. It's that spider walk that everyone remembers. That, Like I said, though, it was a bonus scene. The people that originally went into the movie theaters did not see that scene. Uh, the way the spider walk uh, plays hitting in the middle of this emotional moment unnoticed by everyone else just adds to the creep factor. Anyone with kids can say that a kid going for your legs is scary enough, but with the subtext of a demon inside the kid scares the hell out of anybody watching it. It's a very, it's a very subtle in the sense that it was done, and I'm not exactly 100% sure about this, but I think it's the first ever movie to pull off that kind of a scene. So kudos for them. There are hundreds of scary scenes out there. Like I said, it's a subjective topic. Uh, we just watched The Unholy the other day, the other, sorry, last uh, last week. We had the writer, director, producer of the film here as a guest on our show. The Unholy, a great movie starring J.D. Morgan. Uh, it had a total of about three jump scares in the entire movie. And it's perfect. If you make a movie and you just put one jump scare after another after another then it loses its effect you know the some of these filmmakers just their only goal is to not pay that much attention to the storyline but to give you jump scares that's not a good equation to make a good movie you put in just the right amount of jump scares in a movie of course have a great script great acting and you've got a winner right there on your on your hand so that is my opinion on that so anyway guys we are out of time for tonight the hour just flies by if you want to be a part of our live audience please join us monday through friday at 9 30 p.m eastern on your platform of choice it could be youtube instagram facebook twitch or twitter this show is simultaneously streamed to all five platforms. Please visit us at deadtalklive.com to see all of our featured episodes, which are our guest interview episodes, see all of our prior guests, upcoming guests as they get confirmed, and a whole bunch more. To It is Thursday night here on the East Coast of the United States. Tomorrow is Friday, the start of the weekend. I hope everybody stays safe. 
And until tomorrow night, stay walking, guys.